It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think they're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. And it wouldn't be an episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast if we didn't get to talk about some Joe Burrow faux outrage. And today we're going to talk a little bit about his hand size and why that doesn't matter. And then special guest Ted Nguyen is with us. He talks about how to watch football like you know what you're doing. Watch football like an expert is an article that he has over on The Athletic. He'll talk a little bit about what you can do to educate yourself as a fan. And then, of course, we get into Joe Burrow. We get into the parallels between the teams he covers in San Francisco and the Bengals, what they can do to mimic that success. And then we talk, you know, obviously a lot about Burrow and and what Zach Taylor can do to transition Burrow into the NFL successfully. But before all that, let's talk about Joe Burrow's combine. And Joe Burrow's hands are not that big. In fact... If you believe everything you read on the internet, he is considering retirement because his tiny hands are going to fumble the football. And that's a tweet that he did that has, at the time of recording, over 150,000 likes on Twitter. I like QB1's sense of humor. I do too. And that's good because that would normally be, if I think we went back five to even 10 years ago, measuring nine inches on your hands would have been a bigger red flag than it is now. I think as we looked at the past generation of bigger, strong-arm quarterbacks being the guys that went in the top 10, and now we've seen smaller and shorter guys, even though Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray have big hands for being short. Um, same with Tua Tungavaloa. We're seeing more 6'2", 6'1", guys make it in the NFL. And with that, just a couple of years ago, Jared Goff with 9-inch hands was also drafted number one. And before that, with 9 and one eighths, Alex Smith and Eli Manning. So there are some players in the league that have had success currently right now with nine inch hands, Ryan Tannehill. And of course the aforementioned Jared Goff who led his team to a Super Bowl. So there are some players that have had success. If you look at like Baker Mayfield, nine and a quarter and Patrick Mahomes, nine and a quarter, first overall pick, former MVP, just won a Super Bowl. I think it's becoming more normal. It used to be the threshold to be, I mean, above 9.5 inches. Then it was kind of like, well, you can be at nine and a quarter. And I think now we're getting to the point as more data comes out that it really doesn't matter. Speaking of data, Hayden Winks, who writes for Roto World, did a correlative study that shows there's actually a negative correlation between hand size and NFL quarterback prospects in NFL seasons two to four and their yards per attempt, their completion percentage, 
their TD percentage, their interception percentage. In fact, the only thing that found a positive correlation of any statistical significance for quarterbacks and hand size was rushing productivity. And I think we can all chalk that one up to a coincidence, I want to say. But the fact is, there's no correlation between hand size and passing stats, passing productivity in the NFL. Part of that is selection bias. The NFL simply does not draft quarterbacks and give them playing time when their hands are smaller than a certain threshold. But that threshold has traditionally been nine inches, which Joe Burrow comes in right at nine inch hands. You make a good point there. There's not enough data to be conclusive. The same with Kyler Murray in the conversation last year that he was too short. You can't play quarterback at that level isn't true because there wasn't data to even support it. There wasn't just there just wasn't too many quarterbacks under six foot that have played in the NFL. Um, same goes for hand size. And I think when I when I look at it, the only question is, can he hold on to the ball and grip it in adverse conditions? And is he going to be prone to fumbling more? If you look at stats from the biggest hands to the smallest hands at quarterback, there's no correlation again in fumbles. And if you go back and look at Joe Burrow's tape at LSU and say, okay, did he have ball security issues? Did he have fumbling issues on tape? And he did not. He had four total fumbles last year, three that were his fault. I didn't see as a, I didn't see it as an issue. I don't think that was ever brought up between you and I, Jake, when watching film. Uh, so as of right now, I don't see it as a concern or something that would knock the Bengals off of considering him with the first overall pick. And a former Bengals practice squad quarterback, Zach Robinson, who worked for PFF, is now the Rams quarterback coach, had nine-inch hands, and he told PFF's Mike Renner that it gave him trouble in high humidity. Mike Renner points out in a tweet, Burrow lit up defenses with no problems in a goddamn bayou. And he's not worried about his hands in Cincinnati. And there's another good point that, hey, if you're going to have problems anywhere, it would be where the ball's going to get slick. And he literally played in a bayou. So enough about Joe Burrow's hands. We don't need to talk about this any longer. His other measurements, he comes in at 6'3 and a half, 221 with Almost 31-inch arms and a 74-inch wingspan. All of that well within the realm of what's normal for NFL quarterbacks. And if anything, it probably shows that he can pack on a few more pounds and will once he gets into an NFL training program. And maybe that helps out the arm strength as he grows and develops and adds some weight and strength. Of course, he has worked with Tom House, so there is some arm strength improvement that we've already seen. It's evident on his college tape with the change in mechanics But that could still get a little bit better, as Joe said, with an NFL training program. And functional strength as a runner could improve as well. Of course, only time will tell for those attributes. But as is, none of these measurements move the Bengals off Joe Burrow at number one. Want to go see your Cincinnati Reds this spring during spring training? Well, Arizona is a great place to go, not only see baseball, but to see everything else. And if you go down there and go down for the Cactus League, they've got... 10 stadiums, 15 MLB teams, 75-degree temperatures. All 10 stadiums are in the greater Phoenix area within 50 miles. Yeah, you can go down and see your Reds in Goodyear Park down there. Or maybe, we've talked about it before, you're into the craft beer. They've got Four Peaks, Angel's Trumpet Ale House, Goldwater Brewing Company, all known for great beer. Or maybe you're into hiking. Maybe you want to get out in the desert for the numerous national parks down there. Go up to the Grand Canyon. And if you do the canyon, make sure you bring enough water because it's the way back. Unlike most hikes, that's challenging. It's easy going down, hard coming up. Kind of the opposite of the Bengals. We had a hard time with this bad year. 
and we're going to come up next year. So go on down to Arizona, take yourself a little spring break, plan your getaway at visitarizona.com slash spring training. If you've been a listener of the Lockdown Bengals podcast, you've heard the great advertisers like Abco Safety, Tourism Arizona, and the Epic Hotel down in Miami who have worked with us to reach Bengals fans. We are a great way for you to reach out and get in touch with local podcast listeners. Our local Locked On podcast listeners, predominantly a male audience, well-educated, and most importantly, They have disposable income money to spend. So if you want to connect with Bengals fans to come make some purchases from your local business, we have an opportunity right now for you. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockdownPodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. Today we're joined by Ted Nguyen, who writes for The Athletic. He covers the 49ers and the Raiders for The Athletic and all things football and the NFL. He also works on the State of the Nation podcast, which focuses on the Oakland Raiders. So highly recommend following Ted on Twitter at FB underscore film analysis. He does a lot of really smart film work, and we're going to start with the piece you did for The Athletic, Ted, How to Watch Football Like an Expert from the Comfort of Your Couch. This touches on a lot of important football concepts for people that want to be more educated as fans. If you had to pull out a couple of things from here that is the top, say, two things or three things that a casual fan could learn to really have a better understanding of what they're seeing on Sundays where would you start? I would say just don't focus on the ball all the time. Start looking at the offensive linemen because, you know, as we know, quarterbacks, running backs could lie. Uh, they do play action fakes. There's, you know, RPOs and all that stuff. Uh, but if you re- watch the offensive line, they really don't lie. You know, if they're run blocking, they're going to come, come off the ball hard. And um, if you watch enough, you're going to start recognizing some of those blocking schemes like outside zone, inside zone. Uh, sometimes you can see, you know, you can see them pass block while the quarterback's making a run fake. Uh, so if you really learn to f- focus on things other than offensive line and start recognizing formations and that those kind of tendencies, I think you, you start taking up your uh, football knowledge up a level. Uh, so, uh, yeah, just, you know, if you just follow the quarterback the entire time, you know, you can get fooled into the different things that they want you to get fooled into doing. And you're just, you know, watching a guy drop back and you're not seeing the whole picture. So I think that's the number one thing. I think when uh, they showed a couple of those alternate views, Thursday night games, I think Monday night games did them also. When they would show the the wider view or from the the end zone angle when they'd show the safeties, I think that's such a would be such a big advantage for uh, viewers to, to really understand that the safety play is so key to the defense. Isn't that something like uh, for you, Ted, when you go and watch the film at the, the next day or the day after, after watching a game live, where you're like, that's the number one thing. What, what were the safeties doing on a lot of these plays? Wouldn't you agree with that? And uh, what's the first thing or one of the first things you look at when you go to the film? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you got to know where the safeties are at because – I mean, that's one of the first things that quarterbacks look for as soon as they break the huddle. They want to know if there's two safeties deep or if there's one safety deep because that tells you the, you know, the family of co- what coverage that um, that 
or what category that coverage belongs in, whether it's going to be a, a, a two deep coverage or a one deep coverage. And then if they're going down to the box, you can start seeing, you know, what, what, if they're going to blitz or not. So it is definitely a big part of the uh, picture that um, you have to look at. And yeah, I agree. When they showed you that end zone view, you could kind of see exactly what the quarterbacks are looking at and you could see um, why they want to look at the safeties and how that they, they tell the story of, of what the coverage or what the defense is trying to do. You worked with Carson Palmer on this piece when you did the second half or second part of the article, how to watch the game like an NFL quarterback with Carson Palmer. And of course he is a divisive figure at this point for Cincinnati Bengals fans with all of his commentary around the Bengals commitment to winning a Super Bowl being filtered through the Joe Burrow speculation lens and that echo chamber we've been dealing with. What was it like to work with Carson on this project? How did that go? Uh, he, he was very, you know, I always thought Carson was uh, one of the more intelligent quarterbacks when it comes to reading defenses and, and anticipating uh, what they're going to do. Uh, so, he, you know, obviously I, I couldn't, you know, Peyton Manning is unreachable, obviously. So, uh, but Palmer was, um, I, I think, in that next tier of really intelligent quarterbacks to, um, and I was just very grateful that he lent his expertise and um, just talked about some of what he talked about and how quarterbacks read defenses pre-snap. I was surprised to hear him say that he, he didn't really look at cornerbacks um, in the pre-snap just because there's so much movement with cornerbacks. And uh, if you look at them, there's just too much to focus on. And, um, I, you know, I, I was surprised to hear that. But as somebody that watches film, um, you, and you, when you see that all 22 – you know, you're not trying to register all this information in like two seconds. So you can watch the corners. Uh, so as viewers, I, I definitely suggest looking at the corners because they do tell you a bigger part of the story. But if you're a quarterback, you know, maybe that's a good tip for you um, not to, to listen to that. But yeah, just overall, uh, Palmer did just teach me some things that I would definitely never figured out because I've never played quarterback in the NFL before. Ted, you wrote a lot about the 49ers this year. As I mean, a lot of people did that, watched film and broke them down because they were just such an exciting offense and such a jump from the previous year, right? Where last year they're coaching the Senior Bowl, this year they're they coached into the uh, the Super Bowl. I think for Bengals fans, not that we're expecting a big jump like that of 12 games or so, but what would you say for? Um, for the 49ers was the biggest jump or biggest change for them from one year to the next. And then what would you try to replicate or advise another team to replicate of what they did and had so much success with? Well, I think what they did was they slowly improved parts of their team. They didn't try to do it all at once and take big swings. Instead, they slowly built uh, and fixed issues that they needed to get fixed. And obviously having Jimmy Garoppolo, healthy for 16 games and you know he's kind of a divisive figure too because some people think he's terrible other people think he's good but it's hard to argue with this record I mean when he's in the Niners have played well and he's won a lot of games in this league um and he and you know even if you don't think he's an elite quarterback it's hard to argue that he's at least a a good quarterback because it's just the impact that he makes when he's, he's in the game um but to to answer your question I think that they just slowly rebuild their roster they slowly built up that pass rush and then it was topped off by picking uh, nick bosa number two uh, so they were patient and they were very uh deliberate in rebuilding and didn't take these huge gambles and swings that ended up 
uh, burning them. They did make mistakes along the way, like signing Jarek McKinnon to that big contract. Uh, but they just made a lot of really good, smart moves that built that roster up. And I knew they were going to be good. I just I didn't know they were going to be Super Bowl bound good. Um, so I, I would say just be patient. And they had a vision of what they needed to do. And they were very self-aware of their weaknesses. And they attacked those weaknesses uh, throughout each offseason. So what would you say from an X and O's standpoint? What what were they doing, really? Uh, it looked like when we when the Bengals played the 49ers week two, I believe it was, they just everything was horizontal. They tried to get to the edges constantly. So much misdirection between um, even on, on run plays and pass plays. It seemed like they had a guy uh, coming across formation, whether it was a receiver or a tight end. Anything you saw on the tape that you're like, yeah, more teams should be doing this? Well, I mean, from the from day one, as soon as Kyle Shanahan got here, they, they were good schematically. They were doing so many things that were difficult for defenses to account for. That, And they didn't win a lot of games just because they didn't have a lot of talent. But if you watch what they were doing schematically, they were very sound. And uh, Kyle Shanahan that is just a master at making te- making it difficult for defenses to run fit, whether it's with fly motions whether it's with shifts or his use of the fullback and, uh, you know, complementing his outside zone game with gap schemes runs. Uh, he, he just knows what defenses are going to do, and he, he knows what kind of run, what kind of motion, what kind of shifts is going to give him a lot of problems. Uh, so it, it's hard to, to put exact uh, finger on, especially without showing you some film right now, but uh, it's just he has a counter for everything that, the defenses are going to do, and he's really good at predicting what defenses are going to do. And, you know, the, the Bengals and um, anybody from the Kyle Shanahan tree, they're going to run a lot of the same plays, same concepts, arches, bootlegs, outside zones. Uh, but at the end of the day, it, it just depends on whether Zach Taylor was able to pick up how Kyle Shanahan is able to predict what the defense is going to do and then react to what they're going to do. Yeah, that's kind of the question, right? Because you can't. I was sitting there watching the 49ers in the playoffs, and I'm like, I want a Kyle Shanahan. Because just like you said, it's obvious when the 49ers are out there calling plays that he's a step ahead of the defense. I know you didn't probably see as much of the Bengals, especially in a 2-14 and year, as you did Kyle Shanahan and the, and the offenses you study regularly. But what what do you think Bengals fans can hope for with Zach Taylor? Do you think that there is that upside for his ability to coach or is that something that just needs more time because you mentioned when Shanahan came in right away everything looked good and I wouldn't say Bengals fans feel the same way uh, despite the lack of talent I, I would say that mechanically there were some growing pains too yeah for sure and I, I think it's it's difficult to say I mean I, it's hard to say that Zach Taylor will be the coach that Kyle Shanahan is because in, in my eyes Kyle Shanahan is you know, top three coach in the league, especially schematically. Uh, but he he's learned from Shanahan. He's running that same system, so he has at least probably the philosophy down. Whether or not he could match the ingenuity and uh, predictive abilities of Kyle Shanahan, it, it, it's hard to predict, and it's so hard to judge what happened in Cincinnati because their offensive line was just a wreck, and not just a normal wreck. It was like a wreck that I've never seen before with all the injuries and uh, lack of talent there. So it's, it's really hard to, to, um, to judge Zach Taylor based on that first year. It's interesting We're- to talk about the offensive line. And I think we should get into that a little bit more here and, and shift the conversation to Joe Burrow. So let's get into that in just a minute. 
Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Bengals right now, if you listen to what's coming out of Cincinnati, they're saying our offensive line is a lot better in the second half of the season. We didn't give up as many sacks after Andy Dalton came back in. We got Jonah Williams coming back. You got second year for, for Mike Jordan. You got Trey Hopkins, who they feel good about in his in his second full year as a starter after they extend him. Is the offensive line going to, to doom this team again if they try to run it back? I, I feel like maybe the Bengals are being cocky there. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, there's some optimism because, like you said, they, they played better and their uh, Jonah Williams high draft pick is going to come back in. And hopefully he is what they I – mean, he's a perfect fit for their system. He, he's a perfect fit for that outside zone system. So um, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I didn't watch as much Bengals film uh, towards the end of the year as uh, you guys have, so I, I can't give you a great answer on this. Uh, but, it, I mean, if they feel like there's some development that happened in the second half of the season and Jonah, Jonah Williams have come, come back in and this is a good draft for tackles, maybe they add a couple guys, maybe that offensive line could be a lot better. And we're here with Ted Wynn from The Athletic. And Ted, why I like reading your stuff, and I don't read too many other people's work, but I read yours all the time because it doesn't matter what team you're talking about, you seem to be able to um, make it digestible for every fan of of any team in the league. So, you know, uh, for me, the last piece you just put out, or one of the latest pieces with Joe Burrow and breaking him down, and you're like, yeah, he's worthy of the top pick was basically your conclusion. But there's so much good stuff in there. Uh, for me, when we we can tie in O-line and Joe Burrow is, for me, number one, I think he's so good with pressure and so good manipulating the pocket, managing the pocket. What did you see when you watched him in terms of just can he survive with a muddy pocket or or maybe an offensive line that's not as good as it could be? Yeah, uh, first off, it's um, no quarterback can survive a – situation where they're getting uh pressured consistently too much but you know with that said burrow is probably the most mature and refined quarterback that i've seen in college as far as manipulating the pocket making guys miss he could do it with subtle moves he could do it with breaking outside the pocket with spin moves i mean he he he's a legit athlete i think some people mistaken joe burrow as kind of like a, a a weak athlete because he has a weak arm, but he, he is a legit athlete that could damn, you know, do some damage with his legs if he breaks the pocket and goes downfield. Um, so it, it's not just as athleticism it's that awareness he has in a pocket. And, and like I said, he's just one of the most, the best quarterbacks I've seen at managing the pocket from college. So if the, the Bengals line does struggle and maybe if they're not the best, he, he'll be able to make some plays outside of structure. So with his transition to the NFL, obviously at LSU, they're going five wide frequently, getting five guys out into patterns. They're doing a lot of run pass option. The Bengals didn't do quite as much of that last year. I think partially because of the offensive line that we're talking about, they're keeping guys in to block, especially with Andy Dalton out there. We've talked on our show before about when Ryan Finley went in, they actually did do 
more five guys into patterns, but is this, what's the biggest thing, I guess, for, for Zach Taylor to do to welcome Joe Burrow to the NFL? And we're, we're all assuming that's the pick. We don't have any preconceptions about that, but assuming that's a pick, what are the biggest things for, for Taylor to do for this offense to accommodate and acclimate Burrow to the NFL? Yeah, I actually just wrote another article about um, some of the uh, things that uh, offensive coordinator Joe Brady did uh, with LSU, and they, they used a lot of the same concepts that the Shanahan tree guys you use, like dagger, arches, uh, that sort of thing. And, and I think Burrow is going to be killer on bootlegs. They didn't do a whole lot of bootlegs in, in that LSU offense, but with his athleticism, his ability to get outside, um, it's going to be hard for def- defensive ends on a backside to catch him, especially if they take a step inside towards the run. And he, he throws so well outside the pocket on the run that those bootlegs are going to be uh, really good for, uh, really productive for them. So I, I really think he's a great fit in that sort of uh, play action heavy uh, offense. And they don't do a lot, a whole lot of empty um, in this style of offense but i think integrating that could be really good for burrow because they did that at lsu because he, he was just so athletic that when you spread guys out he saw things he saw things happen right away he was able to read blitzes and when things broke down th- people were more spread out so he could make plays outside the pocket so uh just again i think he's a great fit in the, in the system already but maybe a little more five wide like they did at L- lsu could um make him a little more comfortable in his first year Last question for me, Ted. You mentioned the arm strength with Joe Burrow, uh, and you said it was weak. Do you have any reservations, or is it just something you would think a play caller would have to manage and be aware of? Um, I don't know if it's something that the play caller has to be aware of because, uh, you know, it's, I, I say weak, but I think it's just a little below average of an NFL starter. Yeah, he's just not going to go out there and make those – 50 yard throws outside of structure like Patrick Mahomes is making, but you know, cause a lot of play concepts are, aren't designed to, to uh, design for throws that long. Right. Um, and a lot of those play concepts in the, uh, the West coast offense, which um, this Shanahan tree has kind of evolved from, they don't, they don't involve super long throws. So I, I think as far as designing offense, you don't really have to change that much. I mean, you're not going to, call uh air raid type concepts like you know Mahomes or Ben Roethlisberger in his heyday we're doing um but um yeah I, I just don't think that it, it's that much of a hindrance where you have to change your system it seems like he's just so good at the in-breaking stuff and in the in the middle of the field that I mean even you saw Clemson I think in the national championship game they came at him with a good plan for pressure. They came at him taking away the middle of the field early in that game, and then it just got solved. And and maybe some of that's Joe, Joe Brady, and, and some of that's Burrow getting comfortable and, and them getting on the same page. But just his calmness, his ability to adapt were really impressive. So my last question, Ted, is you've been evaluating players and watching quarterbacks for years now. And I, I think there is – it's not – complete consensus but there's near consensus that Joe Burrow is the top quarterback in this draft how does he compare to the top quarterbacks the last few years guys like Baker Mayfield and I don't know go all the way back to Andrew Luck say how does he compare to the top quarterbacks in that period of time it's that's an interesting question because you know when you talk about the other top quarterbacks they all have these like wild physical attributes and you know when you when you 
look at this Burrow evaluation, it, it kind of brings you back to the question of what is a quarterback ceiling? Um, what what is it? What sets a quarterback ceiling? Is it his physical attributes or his mental attributes? Because if you're looking at mental attributes, Gerald Burrow might be the top guy that I, I've seen come out since Andrew Luck, as far as uh, just being mentally locked in and ma- mature enough to play the NFL game. Um, but as far as physical attributes, he just doesn't have that rocket arm that we've seen from some of those top talent quarterbacks uh, in the past few years. Like, I mean, Kyler Murray's just, you know, his arm talent's amazing. Um, Baker Mayfield, we, we, we've seen how well he's thrown. Um, so I, I would, I would say I put him mm, in the last five years, I would, I would put him in the, that two, three range. I, I think I, maybe even two, it, it's, it's just hard to say because I haven't thought about it that hard, but uh, just on the spot, I would say uh, in the last f- five, six years, I-, I would say he he'd be right there in that three range, two three range. It's a really challenging question, I think, and it and is because because you're you're exactly like you're saying. There's so many attributes to talk about. The game has changed a little bit, and then you see how some of these guys have turned out as pros, like Deshaun Watson coming out. Nobody thinks he has great arm talent. He looks like a similar athlete in a lot of ways to Joe Burrow. And then he comes in and he sets the NFL on fire. Patrick Mahomes, he, he gets all the way to what? 11 was it? 10. 10. Yeah. Right behind John Ross. Of course. How could I forget? Uh, <laughs> so it's just interesting to see how these guys go. And, and Mahomes obviously had the arm talent. And then I, I think the Sean Watson is the most interesting case to think about for a guy who's really transformed his trajectory in the NFL. But Ted, Really appreciate you coming on. You should all go follow Ted on Twitter. That is at FB underscore film analysis. Go check out his work at The Athletic. Learn how to watch football a little bit more like an expert. And that's his pinned tweet, so it's really easy for you to find. Go check that out. And really everything Ted does, because he does a great job, as Joe said, of relaying things to the casual fan in ways you'll understand and you'll be a smarter football fan for it. And we really appreciate him coming on the podcast. Tomorrow, though... More news from the Combine. Joe Burrow takes a podium, as does Zach Taylor and Duke Tobin. So we expect to update you on how all that goes. Until then, Bengals fans, have a good one. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.